listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Maybe seated. Welcome, Harvest Kelowna, to this place. Thank you, Dwayne and team, for leading us. That was amazing. Amen? Are you, are you awake out there? You know, one of the reasons I love coming down, yeah, good, good, a couple claps there. One of the reasons I love coming down here is for the five minutes that I get to sit in these seats. I, there is not a doubt in my mind that now, Harvest Kelowna has the best seats in all of the Okanagan, maybe in all of BC, unless there are other, like, I mean, look at you guys, sitting back, feet up, drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah, ushers are uh, bringing uh, Bibles down. If you'd like a Bible, would you just raise your hand and We'll make sure. And the kids are being dismissed. Is that what we need? Okay, kids are dismissed too. What are the ages? I don't even know these things. Preschool and kindergarten. If you're that, of that age, you can go. Um, and if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and our ushers. And there's some pens as well. Anyway, I, I hope that you've come uh, this morning. It, it seems strange. Like if, if, no, if, if your heart or if somebody's heart is not connected to God, don't you find it strange that you'd carve out a couple of hours on Sundays to come together? to sing songs together and then, and then listen to somebody talk for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. It's a, it's a tad strange, except if, if the, the, the king of the universe has called us to do this, number one, and secondly, if there's actually something that comes out of our time together. And it is it's just a joy for me to be able to be here. I want to thank Pastor Melton, I think who's still on vacation, and the leadership of the church here for inviting me back to preach. You know, I grew up um, where I went to church every Sunday. My mom and dad loved Jesus. They still are alive. Uh, my dad is an evangelist, and so I grew up in Germany. My mom and dad were missionaries there, and um, I, was, um, I was so exposed to, uh, for sure, the gospel, but to the Word of God. We had family devotions almost every day. Uh, I, I can't even remember a day that we didn't have them. I'm sure there were some days, but that was a big part of our life. And so I was, just, I was just surrounded with the Bible and with the knowledge in my head of who God is. And then, I would, uh, then I'd go to these crusades. That's what they used to call them back then. You wouldn't ever use that language today, right? We're going to have a crusade in Kelowna. It's like, well, what, who's marching in with what, right? But that's what they called them. And, and my, my dad, along with his team, they would rent a hall. And, and uh, they, by the invitation of some local churches, they'd go in for you know, a week or two sometimes. Oh, is that Meldon there? He is there, Pastor Meldon. He's on vacation, but he's here. Good to see you, man. Um, and, 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 and there would be a choir, and there'd be singing, and then my dad would get up and preach. And I can just tell you that I have slept through more altar calls than you've probably ever heard in your life. Um, and my dad would do an altar call, and people come to know, you know they come to the front, and then there'd be counselors, and they'd they would uh, they would share once again what they, the people had just heard through the preaching of the of the word, and and many people came to know Jesus through those crusades. Uh, I mean that was that was a thing back in the '60s and the '70s, and even into the early '80s. These these uh, meetings, uh, these evangelistic meetings, not that common anymore. Um, I say all that to let you know that as a kid growing up in that, and we've got young people sitting in the room here this morning, and you're coming to church, and you're hearing this all the time, uh, a couple of things you need to know. Number one, a relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal deal. Yeah, don't get born into it. 
we are born, we don't have a choice where we're born, so I, w- I was very privileged to be born into a family where mom and dad loved Jesus and where I was exposed to the gospel. But this is something that personally needs to take root in our lives as the Spirit of God draws us to himself. The second thing is that, that I need you to know that we can become inoculated to the things of God. You know what inoculation is? The inoculation, when you are inoculated for a disease like mumps or measles or something like that, they take a, a small, a little bit of the virus and they inject it into your body so that you build up immunity towards it. And that's what, what, that's what happened in my life towards the gospel. I heard it so much in my life. Uh, and, and it wasn't really small doses, let me tell you, it was big doses, but somehow I just became immune to it. So it, didn't, it just didn't rock my heart anymore. It didn't, it didn't um, move my affections in any way at all. And then I went to Bible school because that's what my mom and dad wanted me to go. I went to Miller College of the Bible. It used to be called Miller Memorial Bible Institute. And I went to Bible school because I wanted to make mom and dad happy. And then once I was going to be done with my year, I was going to go on and do my thing, but I was putting in time, and it was in my second semester that God got a hold of my heart, and he changed me. He saved me, and the gospel take root, uh, took root in my life, and everything changed in my life. That was back in 19, in the spring of 1984, and so this morning, I have the joy of talking to you all about the gospel. I want to, and, and, and in a sense, I'm guessing this is a gospel-focused, gospel-centered gospel-driven church. Prayed with some of the guys earlier in one of the other theater rooms, and, 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 and this is not for, if, if Harvest Church, Harvest Kelowna Bible Chapel is your church, this is not going to be new. There, there might not even be anything new that you hear this morning, but oh, my prayer is that there would be a rejuvenation of joy in the gospel in your heart this morning. And if this isn't your church and you're visiting here, that, that God would just use uh, the words that we read in his word to move our hearts and our affections and our longings deeper towards him. I kind of feel like the Apostle Paul, and when he's writing uh, the letter to the Romans, he says uh, at the end of chapter or in the middle of chapter one, he says, I'm eager to come to you also in Rome and preach the gospel to you. So I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else more than, my des- I, like there's no other place I'd rather be than right here, right now. To share with you the gospel, I'm eager as I've been thinking about this and I, I, I Dwayne wanted to know what the, the songs are going to be in Chrissy and we got some stuff together and I said, this is my title and if you do songs that are kind of cross-centered and gospel focused and every one of the songs we sang is like, my heart is just crying out, amen, that's, that's this glorious truth that we were singing. And, uh, and so it's just a joy. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there are four verses that will be on the screen as well. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. Bring it to church. That's important. You know, the Bereans, were, we read in the Bible, were more noble than the, the uh, believers in Thessalonica because they actually opened up the Scriptures to make sure that what the Apostle Paul was saying was actually biblical. So you, it's, that's important for you. When Pastor Malden gets up here or... Or, or, or a guest preacher comes in, that you're actually checking with the Word of God what they're saying is in line with what the Bible actually says. So uh, I'm going to read these verses, and, um, and you can follow along in the scre- on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to make two observations from this text. There are lots of things that I could say, but I want to point out two observations from this text, and then 
Uh, towards the end of our time this morning, I would like to give you just a practical application from the book of Romans that will kind of tie everything together, okay? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And we'll stop there. You can keep reading. It talks about the, the first-hand eye accounts or, or accounts of people seeing Jesus and all that. But, but those are the verses that I want to focus on. And the first observation that I want to make now for you this morning is that we are forgetful people. We forget easily. Uh, our natural disposition is to forget. Did you know that? We're just forgetful. And, and let me tell you, the older I get, the more real this becomes. It's like I forget things, and I'm so grateful that Sarah graciously, most of the time, graciously reminds me of things. And, but we are, we're, our, 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 we don't use our mind to its full capacity. We, we know that. But we're a forgetful people. And, and it, it's clear in this text that the Apostle Paul knows that the church in Corinth also are a, potentially a forgetful people. And so he says this to them. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, I'm going to remind you. Why would anybody remind something, uh, somebody of something? Well, because they potentially have forgotten. Or the propensity or their disposition is to forget. And so the Apostle Paul wants to remind them and, and, and push them not to forget. Do not forget specifically the gospel that I preached to you. Rehearse it. In, in other words, he's saying, rehearse the gospel contemplate the gospel, meditate on the gospel, consider the gospel, remember the gospel. Don't forget it. I want to remind you, church in Corinth, and I would say to you this morning in Kelowna, Kelowna Harvest, I want to remind you of the gospel because maybe you've forgotten, even this week. I mean, it doesn't take very long for me to start forgetting the, the very most important things in my life. I get distracted really easily, and, and we're called to remember and so Paul says, I want to remind you, because we're forgetful, our natural uh, tendency is to forget, we're fickle, we're self-centered, we're easily distracted. And, and Paul says, I want you to remember the gospel. The, the word gospel simply means good news, and, and Paul actually goes on to explain what the gospel is in verse 3. He says, for I delivered, here's the gospel, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. That's the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus, his life on this earth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the fact that he invites us into a relationship with our heavenly father. At the center of the gospel stands the cross and Jesus' work on the cross. It's clear in this text. And it's this event, it's this uh, this, this thing that happened in the history of mankind and all of its implications that Paul wants the church in Corinth to remember. And it's what I want you to remember this morning. I want you to just, in your mind, think back 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross. That actually happened. That's a historical event that took place. And he went to the cross and he died there, but he didn't stay dead. He was buried and he rose the third day. 
But this is, this, this is an amazing place. The cross is, is an amazing place. Some amazing things happened on the cross. And, and it's not that for, for a moment that we... I'm just looking for a cross. Yeah, right here. It's not that we worship wood. It's not that we worship timber. We don't worship a tree. What we do worship is the one who hung on the tree and all that he accomplished on the cross. So when we talk about the cross being the center of the gospel... We're not talking about a piece of wood. We're talking about all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that becomes the center point or the centerpiece of the gospel. It's where God's holiness, uh, his absolute perfection, his justice, his wrath against sin, his love, his grace, his mercy, where all of these beautiful attributes of who our God is come together and are blended together and we're to remember this place. We're to remember what Jesus did on the cross where he takes our place. That's critical, and we'll look at this a little bit more, but, but Jesus goes to the cross in, in our stead or in, in, as, as a substitute for us because what we deserve is God's wrath on us because of our rebellion and our sin against God. And Jesus takes our place on the cross because he's perfect. And, and Jesus is the only one who could go to the cross and do that. So you can't separate the cross and Jesus' death from Jesus' life that preceded the cross. They have to go hand in hand because Jesus, uh, when he lived for those 33 years before he went to the cross, on this earth, he lived perfectly. He, he fulfilled every requ requirement of God's law. He did it perfectly without fault. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Gospel fluency says this. Let me just read a quote. Too many people forget the life of Christ when they talk about the cross of Christ. But if we don't have the perfect life of Jesus, we can have no confidence in the death of Jesus. So it's important that we understand that when Jesus walked on this earth, he walked perfectly, sinlessly, did all the requirements that his heavenly Father have for all humankind, which every one of, of us, us has broken, Jesus kept perfectly. And that's, that's clear in the Bible and what Vanderstelt is saying here. And then he goes on and says, if you, as Jeff says, if you want to know what the righteousness of God looks like, you look at Jesus' life. And if you want to be declared righteous by God, you need to have faith in how Jesus lived on your behalf, not just on how he died. That's important. So when we talk about the cross, and we talk about all that Jesus did on the cross by taking God's wrath on himself for our sin, he takes it upon himself, don't forget what preceded the cross. It was his life. And not only is Jesus' death appropriated to us, but his life is as well, his perfect life, his sinlessness. He lived a perfect life, and therefore he could actually go to the cross and do what he did. And so Jesus becomes our substitute. He's the perfect, we read that he's the perfect lamb of God. And that, that just should take your mind, if, you're a, if, you, if you know the Bible a little bit anyway, it should take your mind back to the Old Testament and the whole sacrificial system where a lamb that was without blemish and perfect was to be brought as an offering, a sin offering. And the lamb was sacrificed there. And we read that Jesus is the perfect lamb, the fulfillment of of all those pictures of the Old Testament, Jesus comes and fulfills that. He's the perfect lamb, the sinless one. And he takes our deserved punishment on himself and, and once for all and fully 
satisfies the demands of God's holiness and God's wrath against our sin on himself. It's a stunning truth. I want to remind you of that this morning, that Jesus went to the cross for you. And he died for you. And all the crud and garbage in your life and all the rebellious attitudes and all the things, all the places where you've misstepped, Jesus took the punishment for that on the cross, on, for, on himself, for you. Stunning, stunning reality. Paul says, I want to remember that. Don't forget it. I want to remind you, church in Corinth, of the gospel. Kelowna Harvest, I want to remind you of the gospel this morning. You know what I find amazing? You know, we, we, have, we, we, we do ordinances in the church, and there are two ordinances that we practice. I'm sure you practice here. One is called baptism, and the other one is called communion, or the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table. And, um, and, and here, you know, you know what I find so amazing about this? Is that Jesus, he was very intentional when he left these ordinances or, or these things that we should do, and, and the idea of ordinances that they're ordained for us to do. These are things that God wants us to, Jesus wants us to do. You know, what, you know what the center point or the center story of baptism is? The gospel, right? Because when, when we put somebody in the water and, and we say you're buried with Christ and you've, you're raised to newness of life, it, it signifies all that Jesus did on the cross. And it signifies us identifying with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, you know what else is amazing? Is that the, the ordinance that we're commanded to do regularly, habitually, do this as often as whenever you do this, do this regularly, is communion. You know what the, the center point of communion is? The gospel. So Jesus ordains things in our life so that we might not forget. And Paul says, I don't want you to forget. I want I want, you to, I want to remind you of the gospel, and every time we take communion, every time you see a baptism, you should be thinking, oh yeah, I tend to forget. The, the, the natural propensity of my heart, the disposition of my heart is to forget this glorious truth, the gospel, and I can't forget it. So Jesus, even with that understanding uh, that we are a forgetful bunch, says, I'm going to do something, and I want you to, I'm, we're going to have supper together, and I'm going to break bread, and I'm going to pour some wine in this cup and we're going to pass it around and I'm going to remind you that this bread is, is, is a symbol of my broken body and this cup of red wine is going to remind you of my blood that was spilt on your behalf. So every time you take it, remember the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. It's amazing that Jesus himself said, I'm going to just do something for the church that they would not forget the gospel. Um, it's amazing. So can I ask you a couple of questions then? What does this remembering of the gospel look like in your life? Like, just in the quiet of your seat right now, just say, well, how, when do I take time to remember the gospel? Is it on communion Sundays? That's primarily the only time I actually take my mind back to the cross. Um, when I see a baptism, what does remembering the gospel look like? Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel, and I would suggest to you that we should be remembering the gospel every day, sometimes more than once a day. And that the meditation and the consideration of all that Jesus did on the cross should be kind of the, the guide in our life. So what kind of time do you devote to this practice? What kind of time do you devote to reflecting and meditating on the gospel? Here's the second observation that I'd like to point out to you from this text 
is that the gospel needs to be the center of every Christian's life. Well, it's a great segue. And this is what I want you to see in verse, verse 3. Paul says, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. And then he talks about Christ dying uh, for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and uh, that, um, that, that he appeared to Cephas and the rest of us. So, so the reason why the gospel needs to be the center of every Christian's life is because it's of first importance. Like the, the gospel, according to Paul here, and, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is God speaking to us this morning. He's, he's saying the gospel has to be of first importance in our life. Like this is, the, the gospel's not a secondary issue it's not a, a, just a simple nicety to think about every once in a while. It's not something that we should just give a passing glance to. The gospel, according to the word of God, is of first importance. It's of first importance. Nothing trumps the reality of the message of the gospel. It's number one. It's the most important thing. And, and if it's the most important thing, no wonder Paul says, I want to remind you of that. Because maybe there's been something in your life that's diverted your thinking away from that and you're not focused on the gospel anymore. So I want to remind you because it's of first importance. It's of first importance. Well, why is it of first importance? There's two reasons in this text that I want to point out to you and I'll give a couple of subpoints as well. But there's two reasons why the gospel is of first importance. And you can see it here in the, in, in, we'll skip back to verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Here is the first reason why the gospel is of first importance. Which you received and in which you stand. You've received it. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, you've received the gospel and you're standing in the gospel. That's amazing. You should be saying, well, what does that mean? Receiving the gospel. What does it mean to stand in the gospel? What does it mean to receive the gospel? Well, when the gospel was preached to the people in Corinth... They heard it with their ears, and they didn't reject it. They heard, and the gospel is good news. It's something we proclaim. They heard the gospel. It landed in their ears. It went to their hearts, and they received it. And the next phrase that Paul uses here says, in which you stand. So there's this sense that, that they received it, and it became part of them. It became part of their identity. It's, it's their standing now. It's, it's when people look at them, they say, oh, that person's standing in the gospel. They've received it, and they're standing in it, whatever that might mean. But they received it. The Bible's crystal clear. It's not in this text here, but it's crystal clear. We're not going to take time to go look at uh, all the verses that would support this. But the, the church in Corinth received the gospel through faith and repentance, it's, it's by faith that we receive the gospel. It's by faith that we receive the, 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 the Christ of the gospel. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger. Whoever believes me will never thirst. So we believe, we put our faith in him. We receive Christ as our life-giving bread. And that's what happened in the church in Corinth. I'm guessing that's many of your stories as well, that there came a point in your life, this was for me, Second semester of Bible school where I heard the gospel for the thousand, thousandth time, I'm guessing, maybe more. And all of a sudden, the, the blinders went away and Jesus was glorious and compelling. And I, and I received him by faith and I, I believed that everything he did on the cross, he did for me. And I received it. I received the gospel that day. And I'm standing today, 2018, 
I'm still standing in the gospel. It's an amazing thing. And, and, and that's why it's of first importance. It's the first reason. Let, let me give you, there's, there's a lot of things that happen at the moment of you receiving the gospel. Lots of different things. There's a little pamphlet I used to have, 50 things that happen at the moment of your salvation. And, and they're all listed in their Bible, their scripture verses that outline all the various things that happen. You're adopted, you're sealed by the Spirit. There's all kinds of things that happen when you say yes to Jesus, when you receive the gospel, when, you're, uh, when, when he places you into that and you're standing in it. But can I just, can I remind you this morning of three things that happened to you? The first thing, when you receive the gospel, when the, church, the, the people in the church in Corinth received the gospel, the first thing that happened was that they were justified. That's a big theological word. They were justified. It's, not, it, it's, a, it's a biblical word. We need to wrestle with some of these biblical words. But let me explain what justified means. The word justified is a judicial term. So think legal, think courtroom. And you're guilty before the judge. And the judge has every reason to condemn you because you are guilty. You've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar. There's no doubt about it. You know it. The judge knows it. Everybody around knows it. And you're standing in this court of law, and a verdict is declared. And the verdict is, you're not guilty. That's being justified. You're declared, the word justified really means to, de be, to be declared righteous or right. So you're guilty, you know you are. And standing before the judge, you plead Jesus' righteousness, his perfect life. You say, Jesus lived his life for me. He died for my sin. And you plead that righteousness of Christ and the judge says, because you're trusting that, you're, you're, you're putting your faith in Jesus alone, I have every right as a, a just judge, this is done justly, to declare you righteous. It's an amazing truth. And, and, and this idea of being declared righteous indicates that a just verdict of acquittal has been announced and so excludes all possibility of condemnation. No longer under wrath. No longer under the sentence that, that you used to be under that's been wiped away because Jesus bore that wrath for you. Unbelievable. All, no more guilt. Jesus, not only does he forgive your sins, that's an amazing thing. We read in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. And that, so not only does Jesus forgive you your sins at that moment of justification, he, this is amazing. He imputes his righteousness to you. That's a big word, impute. What does that mean? Simply means places it. He places it. Jesus places his righteousness on you. Martin Luther talked about the great exchange. And he based it off of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where the apostle Paul says, for our sake... He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And Martin Luther said, this is the best trade anybody could ever make. This is the great exchange where Jesus takes on himself my sin, and when I put my faith in him in return, he gives me his righteousness. It's called imputation. And so at that moment, this is judicial talk. This is, this is our standing. This is when, when we talk about receiving the gospel and standing in the gospel, that's what, what, the, what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's saying, you, you have been declared righteous in your standing. This is, an, this, is amazing, this is an amazing truth for those of you who know Jesus this morning. Your Heavenly Father, understand this, your Heavenly Father sees you as absolutely righteous today. And I know you're not. Because I know I'm not. 
I've messed up this week, and I'm guessing you have too. But because of Christ imputing his righteousness on you in your standing today, the Heavenly Father sees you as absolutely righteous. That's amazing. That's, that's unbelievable. So that happens when you receive the gospel. That happens when you're standing in the gospel. The second thing is you're reconciled. Reconciled simply means to be brought back into a dynamic and living relationship with God. Adam and Eve, think back, Garden of Eden. They have this beautiful relationship, uh, communion with God, living, dynamic relationship, and that's severed at the moment of them disobeying and eating the fruit. And we're born into this world alienated from God, the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 1, we read, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind towards God, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That happens when you receive the gospel. That happened to the people in Corinth. It can happen to people in Kelowna who so desperately are are, they're just looking for satisfaction and God says, I can satisfy you by justifying you and by reconciling you back to myself. You say, what's the big deal with reconciliation? Well, well let me just say one more verse. Second, um, uh, 1 Peter 3, it says this, uh, Peter says, for Christ also suffered once for us, uh, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, here's why, that he might bring us to God. There's people all over this the Okanagan and up in the shoe swap where we live, there's this deep thirst in their throat, that, that parched feeling. There, there's this deep hunger to be satisfied. And, and people look all over for, for, for things and relationships and positions and fame to satisfy that, that, that ache in their heart. And Jesus goes to the cross so that he might reconcile you to God, bring you back to God. And this is what David says about being brought back to God. You've made known to me the path of life in your presence. This is being brought back to God. In your presence, being brought back to God, reconciled. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's why reconciliation is so critical. That we can be brought back into a right relationship with God where his wrath is no longer on us, but also where we can drink deeply and be satisfied, truly satisfied, truly joyful, pleasures forevermore in his presence. When we're away from his presence, not good. We're going to look for other things to fill it, but when he draws us to himself through the finished work of Jesus, we receive that, we stand in it, he reconciles us to himself. The third thing that happens is we're regenerated. There's, like I said, other things that happen, but the third thing I want to say to you is we're regenerated. Well, well the word regenerate simply means to be given new life. Regeneration is, given, is, is being born again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes, according to his great mercy, he, he, he God, has caused us, you and me, to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul later in the second letter to the Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so at that moment of receiving the gospel and we, we by faith trust Jesus and his finished work on the cross, we trust his perfect life to be imputed on us. It says that our old has been replaced with new. Ezekiel says it this way, that um, this is a prophecy 
futuristic prophecy, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know what happens when you get a new heart? Well, we're not talking about a heart transplant because I don't know what really happens at that point. But, but spiritually speaking, when God takes your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, your affections and desires change. That's what happens. The heart is the, is the very thing that beats in us to desire certain things. And before I knew Jesus, my heart was stone and I didn't want the things of God. I, I wanted to please myself and, and, and it always left me wanting more. But then I came to Christ and he gave me his, his heart a heart of flesh, and my affections and my desires and my longings changed. And all of a sudden, his word became compelling to me. I wanted to be in the word, and I wanted to get to know him more. And I realized when I'm in his presence, there indeed is fullness of joy. When I wander away, there's not. And so when we get a new heart, there's new affections and new desires that come along with that heart. And so Jesus comes and lives in us by his Holy Spirit. That's the act of regeneration. And um, he reconciles us and he justifies us. Well, let me, let me give you the second um, reason why the gospel is of first importance. And here it is. This is the last part of verse, um, or the, the, um, the, yeah, the last part of verse, uh, or the beginning of verse two. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, verse one, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and here it is, and by which you are being saved. So this is important for us to understand not only has Jesus saved us, that's past tense, it's clear, which you received. You, that was a, that's happened in the past, and you're standing in that now, and, and, and we could say it like this, that, that Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin. But this is interesting. This phraseology in the beginning of verse two is very interesting when Paul says, and by which you are being saved. That's an ongoing process. And I want to remind you this morning, Kelowna, Harvest, Kelowna, of the gospel, which not only saved you once from the penalty of sin, but today Jesus, through the gospel, desires to save you from the power of sin. See, the thing that trips me up every week is, is my fleshly desires. Even though I rest in the finished work of Christ and I know that, that my justification doesn't need to be re repeated, my regeneration doesn't need to be repeated, my reconciliation doesn't need to be repeated, that's done once for all, I do recognize that my tendency is to drift. And I recognize that there is still this struggle in my life with sin. When I see things, when I hear things, when all of a sudden I find my heart drifting and, and, and somehow I need to be rescued, I need to be saved from that. And Paul says, good news, I'm to remind you of the gospel which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Kelowna Harvest, understand, you can be saved today. Not from the penalty of sin, that's been taken care of, but you can be saved today from the power of sin in your life. It's an amazing truth that you can walk out of here today and, and live a victorious Christian life. It's amazing, amazing truth that Jesus and the gospel is enough. And so here's the practical outplay and, and uh, just some, some things that I want to say as we land the plane. Romans chapter 6, 
verse 6 and verse 11. This is how it all plays itself out. You should be saying, well, Steve, tell me, how does the gospel save me today? I need to know. I'm a Christian. I know that, that, that my salvation was secured by Christ. I know I received it. I know I'm standing in it. But my goodness, I struggle like crazy with sin every day. I would just say, join the club. We all do. But man, there should be ongoing victory in our life. There should be progress in our Christian walk. And here's an answer. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and verse 11, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Watch now. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive in God in Christ Jesus. So here, here's, it's so simple. It yet takes time, takes intentionality, but we're told, we're given a command, there, there's a clear mandate here that we should do something. Can you see it in that last part of the verse, of, of verse 11? So also consider yourself dead to sin. Consider. What part of your body do you use for considering? Your brain. You use your brain. So can I ask you a question? When's the last time you used your brain and considered yourself dead to sin? When's the last time you said, I'm actually dead to sin? I actually don't need to say yes when the temptations come. You see, the Bible says here that we should consider ourselves dead to sin. That's something that we should be doing. We should be taking time in our life mentally to remember the gospel and all that we are in Christ and the implications of that in my life today. I wonder, friends, if we were to take time to actually do what we're told here, if our lives might not look a little bit different, if we actually took time to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. I, what, I'll tell you what happens in my life. I just get busy in life. And all of a sudden, I'm faced with the temptation. You know what I end up doing? I lean on the arm of the flesh. I try to do it myself. And I don't, I don't pause and consider myself dead to sin and alive in Christ. We'll talk about being alive in Christ in a second here. And, and you know what happens when I lean on the arm of the flesh to fight the battle of sin? I lose. And we lose. And we're told here that we should consider ourselves dead to sin. It's one of the ways that the gospel will be saving us. Now here's, a, here's an amazing verse. Romans chapter 8. Because we're told in Romans 6 that we're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, we read these amazing words. If the Spirit of Him, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, let's pause there and say, the moment you received the gospel, the moment you uh, trusted Christ, His perfect life and His death for you, we read in the Bible that you received the Holy Spirit. And Paul is now asking a rhetorical question. Well, it's not really, he's making a rhetorical statement. He says, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now, when I teach the book of Romans out at Miller College of the Bible to our second years, and when we get to this verse, I ask our students, I say, um, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. How much power did it take the Spirit of God, if you could quantify power, how much power would it take to raise God from the dead? And I pause, and you know what the response is? Lots. 
lots of power, like infinite power. It's hard to quantify. Like how much power does it take to raise God from the dead, Jesus from the dead? Now here's the amazing thing of of this verse. It says that if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, will he who raised Jesus from the dead not also give life to you today? To your mortal bodies. That you're dying. You're struggling with life. Just plain old true statement. And we're all going to take our last breath one day. And then I say to our students, and I'm going to say it to you, I say to them, not to minimize the struggle that we have with sin at all because it's a real deal. But can I just ask, do you think the power that it, that it takes to raise God from the dead, do you think that's enough power to help you with your struggle of sin that you have? You can identify whatever it is. Yes, there is enough power. If that power is available to you, can I just tell you that you can be saved today from the power of sin? It's an unbelievable truth. And so Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And the way you're saved is by remembering the gospel, by considering yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ by the Holy Spirit. So let me just ask you three questions. Do you think it will help you as you contemplate and consider, here it is, your regeneration? You are a new creation, which means you have a new heart, the Spirit of God lives in you. You think it's going to help you when you battle sin this week, this afternoon, temptation comes your way. If you take a moment and say, hey, I'm actually regenerated. The Spirit of God lives in me. He's got more power than, he's got enough power to help me in my battle against sin. I bet my bottom dollar that it will make a difference. And too often, like I said, in the heat of the battle, we start leaning on our own ability. We try fighting the battle on our own and we fail. And I, Steve Jansen, you brother, sister who love Jesus need to be intentional uh, and take intentional time, even just a moment to say, no, I've been regenerated. The Spirit of God lives in me and he who raised Christ from the dead, if he lives in me, he will also give me power. Here's a second question. Do you think it's going to help you as you pause for a moment and contemplate your reconciliation? You've been brought near to God. Remember what David says, in his presence is fullness of joy. And, and here's the thing, there's unbelief. Whenever we sin, at the, at the very root is unbelief. I don't believe what God is saying is actually true. And all of a sudden, my heart is enticed to believe that a porno, uh, some pornography on, on the computer is going to be more satisfying to me, or, or, or uh, some sort of a relationship that God clearly doesn't want. Sometimes it's good things that draw us away. And I'm, I, I start believing that something else is going to be more satisfying to me than God. And I need to take time to say, Steve, just hang on. Pause just for a moment. Remember that you've been reconciled to God and that it's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. You're not going to be joyful if you go down this road. Take time. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. Problem is we just move too fast. We, we gotta, in our Christian walk, we just need to understand and learn there's, there's need for us to remember the gospel. We have to remember it if we want to experience being saved right now. And then finally, here's a beautiful question. Do you think that it's going to help you move on from your sinfulness? Because, because everybody in this room has sinned this past week. I, that is a guarantee. There's not anybody sitting here that says, I didn't sin. We all, somewhere along the line, slipped up. 
And here you are now. You're on the other side of your sin, whatever you did. Do you think that it's going to help you move on to victory as you consider and contemplate your justification? That you just take a moment to think, man, even though I blew it, even though I messed up royally, my heavenly Father still sees me as righteous. That's amazing. You know what that does? That gives impotence to keep walking towards victory. To say, I'm, I, I, what a, oh God. And with, repentance should be our, part of our lives as believers. And in repentance, we would just turn from that and say, I want to walk with you. I want to be faithful to you, Lord Jesus. So remember the gospel, Kelowna Harvest, Kelowna. Milton Vincent in his, in his little book called The Gospel Primer for Christians says this, there's simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. I, I just, I, I know that this stuff works because it works in my life. And I want to encourage you not to be forgetful of the gospel. Be mindful of it. Remember what he has done, that he has saved you, and remember that he wants to save you today. So, remember the gospel. Take time. Don't be fickle in your thinking, but uh, make it part of your daily habit. Father, these are easier words preached than lived, and I need help. Uh, I know that you've rescued me so many times as I've actually done what you've told us to do here, and I thank you that not only have you saved us, you are continuing to save us, and one day we look forward to the day you will ultimately save us when you take us to be with yourself. Thanks for our time this morning. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.